You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to the brilliant Ruth Bratt, a sparkling human being and a dear friend of mine, uh, as well as an incredible improviser and the veteran of over a thousand full-length improvised musicals in the Olivier Award-winning Showstopper. Now, if you've spent any time around the West End of London or indeed at the Edinburgh Festival and numerous places besides, I would imagine, um, Showstopper will be very familiar to you as one of those... One of those shows where they n- nightly seem to do the impossible. They take uh, a single audience suggestion at the beginning of the show and then create an entire musical, an hour-long, funny, meaningful, passionate, brilliant, completely improvised musical. And to me, even knowing what I know about um, uh, improvisation, not to mention not knowing what I don't know about musicals, uh, that seems like wizardry. And we're going to get into a little bit some of the um, some of the techniques behind it. We're also going to talk about the 50 hour long improv marathon shows in which Ruth has participated. We're going to talk about her work with some of the biggest names in the world of impro or improv, depending on uh, which side of the pond you're on. Um, The pond there being an analogy for how people pronounce things as well as an actual pond. Uh, We'll talk about her getting down to the last two for Dobby in Peep Show. And we'll find out what the big choice was that won her a role in the brilliant people just do nothing. There are also, of course, 30 minutes of extras exclusively available to members of the Insiders Club, including a fascinating dissection of impro terms, uh, including shelving, deepening, edits, taps and swipes, and the circle of ideas. All of which, when you put it like that, sounds like just sort of mad jargon, but we get right into that. And I think if you have any interest at all in impro or improv, I basically, what do I call it? The book by Keith Johnston is Impro. So really, Impro is in my DNA. But I speak to enough comics on the show now from America that I've started calling it Improv or the other way around. I can't remember. I've done my own head in. My point is, if you're into that skill, if you're fascinated by that art, or if you would like even to apply some of those rules to your own life, um, which, as we'll discuss, Ruth, uh, very much does, um, then you can't miss out on that. That's available at uh, comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Here is Ruth Bratt. I just think improvisers have got the best life. I just think, you know, <laughs> for, for the record, Ruth, Ruth nodded and shrugged, sure. I just think they've got the best life because you don't need any more to, to cudgel your brains and come up with stuff. You just go, no, 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 I'm the stuff. And you, what you need to do is cudgel your diary and go give yourself as many opportunities as possible to just 
be the little rift in the universe that lets all the playful stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is just playing for a living. I mean, they thought I wanted to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up sitting in cafes chewing a pen and weeping. How's that? How have I allowed that to happen? I mean, you know, I think the interesting thing is with with the impro is that I when when I used to have bad impro gigs I would have the same response that you would have had to a bad okay. stand up gig so I remember early early days of showstopper it was very rare for a show to finish without at least one of us crying okay because we cared so much about it and we so desperately wanted it to be good yeah and you so you know you so desperately want to get a thing right that it's impossible to get right like you can't get impro right because it's and also you're trying to create a perfect musical that's impossible you're you're trying to do something impossible we should i really want to dig in dig yeah, lots into that let's <laughs> like, explain what showstopper is for, for the, the uh, few people who haven't seen it in many years of its olivia award-winning edinburgh fringe west end <laughs> multiple standing ovation kind of shows uh so showstopper it's showstopper the improvised musical we started in 2008 uh, the Hen and Chickens. We did so. I didn't know. I only knew Pippa and um, Dylan, and no one else really who was doing it. Mm-hmm. So um, Dylan and Adam got people from either from Impro or from like proper theatre, and kind of put us all together. And it was all it all came out of Ken Campbell. Who, if you don't know who Ken Campbell is, go and look him up. He was um, a tremendously amazing man, um, and. They just were like, we we think you could improvise a musical. We're going to try and do it. So that's what we did, and um, and then it just sort of went on from there. So we started in a we did I think ten shows before Edinburgh, and then we went to Edinburgh. We did a seventy seater porter cabin, and so that was two thousand eight. And now we're in the Pleasance Grand, which is mm. a seven hundred and fifty. Theater monster, which you've got a decent chance of selling out. I would imagine. I mean, yeah. I've seen you in the assembly, in a big room at the assembly where it was like kill for a ticket kind of yeah. time. And and it's like it's got a legion of fans. My friend Sophie comes to see it every year with yes. her whole family, and you know because and it's it's different every time. So yeah. you love the people and the concept. You're like, I can't believe they're going to do it again, and then they <laughs> do it again. Yeah, so I think we'd. I, I did keep count for a while of how many shows I'd done, so how many musicals I'd made up. Uh, I didn't actually. Adam kept count of it, and then we just stopped because it got too many. But we've now... The company has made up of full-length shows. This isn't including, like, kids' shows. It's mm-hmm. not including, you know, um, any of the radio stuff we did, not including corporates, not including, you know, all that stuff. Uh, so the full-length shows we've made up over 1200 now so i think i've probably done i must be reaching a thousand now god which is bananas and i mean there's so many uh, uh different ways to, in which to talk about this i want to come back to the 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 point where we got into the showstopper thing mm. was when you said what? You said something like... Oh, that everyone, everyone cried. That everyone cried, I guess. <laughs> it's not... I wasn't... I'm not kind of tear... Kind of, you know, tear-seeking. tear whore. <laughs> an absolute tear whore. Um, um, but it, it was around that that point. I was sort of saying about um, 
improvisers having just brilliant lines because mm. you need to put yourself in the right place. And you were saying having a bad gig. So what you feel like when you have a bad gig as an improviser, because doing what I realised I now call improv. I always used to call it impro after Keith Johnston and the book, the, the life-changing book. Yeah. But so many comics, and American comics in particular, call it improv. You sound, you sound quintessentially British. I'm like so Olivia Colman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's because uh, I, I couldn't work out why that was, and it's because we call it improv- improvisation, and mm. they call it improvisation. Oh, improvisation, yes. So it's improv, yeah, yeah. So that's why improv makes more, but impro makes more sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't mind. I'm not one of those people, because there are people who are like, oh yeah, very strict about it. And I'm like, oh, it's it's the same thing. (laughs) It's just making stuff up. Tell me about the crying. (laughs) The crying. (laughs) So so I think what happens, and it's it's rare now, um, you can still have a bad... Can you still have a bad gig? Yes. I think the difference is, and it, I think it's the same with stand-up from what I've spoken to, you know, friends who do stand-up. You, your your base level yeah. is higher, right, because you've been doing it for however long. So, you know, I always think even if I'm having a bad gig, the base level of it is entertaining. Yeah. It's never less than that. Yeah. You know, I might not be firing on all the cylinders and I might be very tired or whatever, but I'm still, the the base level is, you know, this standard and it's never going to go below that. Um, But it's really interesting. The the gig that you have is not necessarily the gig that was experienced by other people. The gig that you yourself are the internal gig, yes. We we often talk about it in in showstopper particularly that, there are multiple shows happening all at one time. So there's the show that you individually are having. There's the show that the company is having. There's the show that the audience are having. Mm -hmm. And then there's the show that is. And they don't always marry up. So, you know, I can be having a terrible show. Yeah. But it is entertaining. Yeah. You know, I can be beating myself up while stuff is coming out of my mouth that people are laughing at. God. Or I can be doing something that I think is amazing. And the, <laughs> <laughs> and the audience are like... <laughs> which, of the, which of those states is best? Oh, do you know what? Probably the... the weirdly, probably the former, like the one where you're just hating yourself but the audience are enjoying it. Because the weird thing is, is when you... When you're doing something that you think is brilliant and the response is lukewarm, you start to doubt yourself. A bit. <laughs> and you're like, maybe I don't know anything, you know. And I, so. But that's, isn't that lovely that that can also be applied to when you're doing stuff you think is shit and they're loving it? You've got to think to yourself, maybe I don't know maybe anything. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time I say, what do I know? That's my. Yeah. You know, o- often after a show that I haven't thought was great or, you know, I haven't enjoyed on a whatever you level. You to manifest your perfect improvisational self. Exactly. Uh, we'll often go, oh, what do I know? Yeah, that's you know? nice. And it, it's it's a sort of much better way to be rather than beating yourself up about it. And I think we have all got a lot better about that. But to begin with, you know, you'd... And also because you're... Because it's such a communal thing. So even though obviously your own ego is very much in play... Mm 
but you're always trying to damp it down a little bit because you have to be willing to fold an idea immediately. You know, like so many times I've come on as something and been named as something else and like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) that's what I am then, you know. and, and But that's a lovely thing to have. But so you have to really quickly let go of stuff and any of your own like... But I think it would be great if we did this, you know, yes. that has to go. Um, I'm thinking it's like you're kind of, it's so zen. It's so sort of like being a Shaolin monk and going in order to be able to kick through this stone wall. I just need to let go of everything. Yeah. And you're going, how do you teach that? It's like trying to... It's impossible. Trying to, trying to... Um, like trying to relax your in your lumbar, you know, whatever yeah, it's yeah. called. You know what I mean? Your lumbar region. Just, just relax that. Just bit. relax that bit. Like I've been t- keeping that yeah. bit tense for my entire <laughs> life. I don't know what the feeling is in my muscles to let go of a thing that I've never let go of. Yeah, and I think so. The weird thing. So I remember where that was going. It was that it's because it's communal. You feel a lot of um, pressure if you haven't given other people what they need like that's how you feel did I make you look good enough did I um, you know, yeah. do you know what I mean so the pressure is not on yourself it's on like did I give enough but I think in terms of that the thing that I've recently and my whole thing about impro changes constantly like one minute I'm like I think it's this and then a year later I'll be like no 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 uh, I was wrong uh, but at the moment what I'm when I teach it and when I talk about it and when I do it what I'm trying to do is accept whatever is at today mm-hmm. so instead of you know because there's all this stuff about things you have to do you have to listen yes of course you have to listen but sometimes you can't listen sometimes you just can't listen so instead of and what can happen is that you're going i'm not listening why am i not listening and you get all tense about the fact that you're not listening whereas what i'm trying to do at the moment my new thing is to be like oh i'm not listening today Oh, yes, okay. And that is the state of affairs that we have. So instead of playing against that, just sitting with it and going, well, this is it, this is it, this is... So instead of getting tense about it and trying to, you know, or, you know, I'm feeling tired today. Okay, you're feeling tired today. Yeah. So improvise tired. Yeah. So it's, it's, there is a zen to it if you, if you can, tap into it and some days you can not tap into it deliberately yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and some days it's great you're like yeah i'm totally i'm absolutely fine with you know i'm sad today Mm. uh so i'm just sad so that's what it is but doesn't mean that your impro will be sad probably because you've accepted you're sad you'll be great Do, do you manage to live your life with the same sort of... I don't want to overuse the term Zen because I've never read a book about it and no, I'm probably not actually, not yeah. understanding it properly. <laughs> but the the sort of the, the playful curiosity and acceptance that you are able to do so well on stage to like a huge multiple standing ovation award-winning extent. Like, what does that look like in your life? Are you able to you know, miss out on a a casting, a potentially life-changing thing and go, I'm going to accept that offer from the universe. (laughs) You know, I'm going to concentrate on making that movie look good by not being in it. (laughs) (laughs) And that is my contribution. (laughs) You're welcome, world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think... So I... 
I always I'm just thinking countless TV shows I've made so much better by giving them the gift of not having me on them. I mean, I definitely. I've definitely got. Well, yeah, I've always been okay about not getting jobs, actually. I'm just like, well, because I assume I haven't got it. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff about now, like telling people that they haven't got a job. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm more surprised if I have. Oh, yes, I see. So I assume... Oh, that was, was that like a mid-pandemic kind of viral yeah, thing where like someone everyone, went, hey, I put all this work into all the... Everyone was putting a lot of work into self-tapes. Yes. And then they would literally never hear back. Never and hear someone back. said, that doesn't have to be that way. Yes. What are we... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, <clears throat> and it doesn't have to be that way. And it would be lovely if it wasn't. But I... I mean, I also... I think when you... St- started doing this job might have a little bearing on that because when I started doing this in 1998 it was not a kind industry Mm. and it's getting kinder but it does mean that I I grew my thick skin early so I don't mind Mm. you know I care but I don't mind I'm like oh well I didn't get it I I do mind when they when they ask you to do something quickly and like it has to be in by here and we have to have a decision by and then you hear nothing and I'm like oh I've rearranged quite a lot of things in order to get this to you and also you know especially if it's like there was one recently that was like would have meant like so the audition or the self-tape was just before the weekend and it would have meant leaving London for three months on the Tuesday. Okay. And I was like... And you didn't hear? I didn't hear. And I was like, you've... you've," And a friend of mine had the same thing. And so for me, it's like, how do I deal with the cat for three months? Like, I have to work out Mm -hmm. how he gets fed every day. That's, you know... So you're trying to work out how that can happen. Even though you haven't got the job, you're still having to think about that potential thing that might happen Mm -hmm. and my friend who because we were up for the same thing and she had to think about childcare. she was Mm. going how can I make three months childcare work you know so you're doing the logistics because you have to you can't not do them yeah if the job starts three days later because then if you do get it you have to have had some thought process beforehand then not to hear anything was I was cross about that one so in that you know in like in terms of applying your kind of hopeful, curious improviser Zen state yeah. to that, are you able to do that, or is that, or I suppose, is the parallel like improvising with someone who is a selfish improviser? Or yes, something? it's a bit like that. So you have to find your ways around. You know, you find your ways of coping with it. So my way of coping with that was I went out for lunch with a bunch of friends, including um, the other friend who had the same experience as me, and we um, ordered champagne <laughs> 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 or prosecco and uh, did a fuck you. Uh, just as a kind of I think you have to find ways of making it okay like I I, so I think my way of making it okay mostly is assuming I haven't got it until I hear I have which is you know and also not trying to second guess what people want you know and just going well if and you know early on I think so I was up for Dobby and Peep Show Mm -hmm. and it was down to me and Izzy and uh, and we were at a party, we were at like a you know a horrible industry party. When we found out that she'd got it and I hadn't, and we both sort of went awkward. And I was like, "Well, if it's not me, I'm really glad it's you because you're brilliant." So yeah, you know what am I going to do? Like, be angry that someone great has got a good job, or am I just going to go? Well, there'll be something else. Yeah, 
you know, and I I do try and live that, you know, that if it's if it's not for you, it'll go by you. Yeah. Um, the um that's that reminds me of um a thing that I've said on stage as a stand up whenever like I'm meeting an actor in the audience. Like if I'm doing stand up at Edinburgh and they'll often, you know, you ask some a young person what they do for living they're an actor. It's a lovely line of argument is to go, have you ever got down to the last two for something? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, because it's almost like that weird that weird maths stat whereby if there's a hundred people in a room, they won't all have this like the the odds of two of them having the same birthday are way, way higher than you'd expect. It's almost like there's only a certain number of people get the get job, to, but yeah. you get there's loads more people oh, who've got yeah. down to the last two. Um, so yeah, Dobby and Peep Show that yeah. would have been a kind that would have of been something a calling card wouldn't of a it? thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Have you had any other um, sort of white knuckle near misses for? I mean, not for things that I really wanted. I did. Oh, there was one. It was an orange advert, and it would have been mega bucks. <laughs> Given that you didn't get it, can you tell us how much it would have been, or is that is that outside? Was, I think is that it was like not allowed. Because it was w- worldwide and it was cinema as well as... Oh, yeah. So I think it was like 70 grand or Fuck. something vile. And of course... <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'd, I'd spent it all in my head. Yeah, sure. Because I was down to the last two. Yes. And then when I didn't get it, I, I was so like, no! Oh, man. And then I saw... Then the worst bit of it was seeing who they'd cast. And I went, oh, it's the younger, skinny and prettier me. Oh, no! <laughs> Not as funny, but... (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's that really awkward thing of going, oh, right, it's purely on a Mm. look that they Mm. wanted or a... You know, so, I I mean, again, like, I don't mind those things. It's it's always a bit of a bummer when you don't have 70 grand. (laughs) The year before I first became a stand-up, I went up for a Lynx commercial and I got it. (gasps) And it was 30 grand. And they flew me to (gasps) South Africa. And I did three days filming inside in a shopping centre. I think they just wanted non-union labour on the thing. And then I came back and my agent happened at the time, happened to say to me, hey, don't spend it. Sometimes these things go pop. Don't spend it till it's in your account. And then it went pop. I didn't get the money. Oh, so you just got the day rate? Yeah, I'd got the day rate. Um, so the 30 grand that I had earned and spent in my head, because I'd done the game, I found out just just before Christmas, I think I found out. And I was like, oh! oh. Um, but I, I thought at the time, I think I thought for the first few years after that, I remember having the thought or saying to people, oh, there's something about getting kicked in the nuts that hard that's actually, I think, been quite good for me. And now I look back and I go, no, 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 I don't think that was good for me at all. I think that made me angry and sad and I was trying to process it in a useful way. But it was extraordinary to have done the gig and then not got the cash because when you're, I mean, at the time I was sort of an actor. I wasn't, I was an actor. I wasn't a a stand-up yet. Mm. And... That was one of those things that was like, oh, you need those big things to sustain you. Car commercial, coffee commercial. You know someone, I remember an actor I knew years ago, but when I was like a student and he used to, he was was good mates with a close friend of mine and he used to just text him every time he'd done like a car, you know, an AA, I think it was. And he just had a really good face for every man commercials. And he was a student still and he was lying in bed and he, he'd just lie there smoking dope and then the, the advert would come on and go, just, just text my mate, I've just made another hundred quid. And like, you know, it's a long time ago now, a lot of money. Well, that's the thing, because they used to, like, those adverts used to be great. Like, mm. I was chatting to a, a friend of mine who um, has a lovely house in London uh, that they bought in the 
80s because mm-hmm. they did two adverts. Yeah. And then I went, how many adverts at current rates of pay and current <laughs> prices would I have to do? And we worked out it was like 150 adverts. Yeah. There's a, there's, Easy. A, there's a comic, I forget who, there's a circuit comic who years and years ago I found out his car was called the Citroen voiceover. <laughs> I like that a lot. You can probably tell from this episode uh, that I'm having a wonderful time speaking to my friend who I love dearly. Uh, Ruth is is such a wonderful, wonderful performer and so so sort of daring and capable of great sort of softness and so so funny I, I was just hugely pleased to uh, to have her on the show at last um, and yes don't miss if you're enjoying this I mean I think we recorded for like two and a half hours and I've tried to go like reduce it down to the episode and then some specific stuff for the extras so if you're enjoying it do make your way to the Insiders Club feed uh, via your existing subscription or indeed comedianscomedian.com slash insiders um, and uh, and you can find out in more detail, some of those really sort of um, she sort of walks me through some of the different schools of improv globally and what they've contributed and her preferences and so forth. And we learn a bit of the sort of the inside the technology is not quite the right word. The, the sort of the ecosystem, the creative ecosystem within the showstoppers model uh, and the way that she likes to work. So loads there. Um, I never know now because when in the run up to the Edinburgh Festival, it's very easy for me to quickly shout out what I'm up to. At the moment, I have entered a sort of insanely, not quite creative, but well, there is creativity in it, but it's a sort of a, I'm just in a mad phase at the moment. I believe I may have mentioned last week, I'm now in titration for my ADHD medication. And that is, well, it's making my mouth dry a lot. So there's that. Um, if you have a particularly wet mouth, why not try Zagatin? Um, but I think, uh, yes, I, normally I can go, hey, point to this, point to that, point to the other. Uh, at the moment, I'm in just sort of a, a really energetic phase of finding out more stuff about the the world of sustainability and what I can do, <laughs> what I can do to continue becoming, as Tom Clutterbuck uh, recently referred to me, uh, the Greta Thunberg of comedy. That's absolutely not the plan. Besides, we already have one of them, Dr. Matt Winning, and he's cleverer than I am. Um, but I'm I'm just kind of focusing on that. So uh, I've got nothing to advertise. I don't think I've got. I've got nothing to advertise. I've got sort of bits and bobs of gigs here and there, but even them fewer than usual. Um, I'll tell you what I'll advertise. Don't don't not read, or another person would say read, Finding Your Comic Genius, An In-Depth Guide to the Art of Stand-Up Comedy by Adam Bloom, which is sort of, if you had a copy of, um, as Ruth mentioned there, Impro by Keith Johnston, although she's absolutely right to point out that not all of it... Uh, is exactly as it once was culturally, can we say? But the stuff therein, if you can see it very much as a product of its time, is life-changing and a wonderful approach to to just saying the first thing that comes into your head and leaning into it and that being fine. There are things I remember from that book I'll have mentioned on tens of episodes, scores of episodes of the pod. But if you had if you had Keith Johnston's impro and you had Adam Bloom's Finding Your Comic Genius, you've pretty much covered your bases in many ways admittedly from uh, a specific white male heteronormative perspective. Let's flag that. It is a thing, and let's not ignore that it's a thing, but they're both incredible books. So that's what I'll advertise for now. Um, Let's crack on with the rest of this interview with the wonderful Ruth Bratt. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Improvising with someone who isn't very good at it. Like, you're an extremely experienced improviser. And something else I just want to mentally peg, because I want to talk about it later, is you did those, and maybe you still do, like crazy 24-hour... 50. 50-hour. 50 I didn't want to go too... I thought it was 72, <laughs> and I thought I would say that would be a letdown. Like 50-hour improv, improv marathons. We'll get into an impro marathon or an improv marathon. An improvathon. <laughs> an improv improvathon. Improvathon. Before we get into those, tell me about your toolkit for sort of success and for failure. Tell me about the things that you like. I, I would imagine my nascent understanding of the little improv that I've done is that. You, you accept every offer. Like you said, you come in with your big idea, you've got to let go of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that very hard. I like my big idea. <laughs> you know, you don't do gags. I remember that's one of the rules. Yeah. Don't do gags. That's a big letdown because you're sort of shutting things down. Yeah. You well, st- I think of that as it's a punch line. So yeah. you've, you've drawn a line. Oh, no, it's, it's not. It's the end, bonk. Yeah. Because a line. Yes. Whereas you don't want to... Because wanna... you, you've turned it from a scene into an opportunity for you to do a clever joke. Yeah. And, that, and that, that's great as long as you know... As long as you know what it's going to do. Yeah. So all of the rules, we sort of call them principles in, yeah. my, in my weird bit of the cult, because uh, improv is a cult. It is a cult, and with different, there's kind of different oh, cult leaders. Yeah. Go on, let's, get, let's do a bit on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so Showstopper is kind of, we were chatting about this the other day, and it's like, it, it's not really, if you want to learn improv, Showstopper is not the place to learn it, because what we're doing is improvisation, but it's not... Like a lot of what we do would kind of go against some of the rules. And Never sing a song. Never sing a song. <laughs> yeah, impro songs are terrible. Don't ask questions. Um, you know, and but all of the things that we talk about, we talk about as principles rather than rules because they're not hard and fast. Because you're trying to, if you put a rule onto it, you're creating something. You're trying to put a scientific bent on something that isn't. Mm. You know, so anytime you say don't um don't ask questions, because there's always that. Don't don't do a scene where you just ask questions. Oh, of each other. Yeah. But yeah. actually, because because what you're doing if you're asking a question and you don't know why you're asking the question, because a lot and a lot of it is because a lot of the thing a lot of the rules come out of what people do when they're scared. Oh, so, they put it on someone else yes. by saying help like, what, they're what do you saying, think? Yes, of you course. Know, yes. Or, so it's the same as blocking, because if you yeah. say no to a thing if you 
saying no keeps you safe mm-hmm. because you're not investing anything in it and you're not but if you say yes and that is definitely a thing in life like we often say no because it's safer you're not going to go on an adventure if you say no or are you because in my other cult which is improbable uh the opposite is also true is what lee simpson says so anything you say you go, you know, don't do this. But the opposite is also true. Mm-hmm. So a scene with questions is not good. But the opposite is also true. Because if you do a scene with only questions, mm-hmm. it can be brilliant. Mm-hmm. As long as you know why you're asking the questions. And as long as the questions you're asking are good. So we sort of think of things as there are useful offers and then less useful ones. Um, it is so mental health, isn't it? It really <laughs> is. It really is. And it's it's kind of... You know, and like I was, so Pippa said this once, we were talking about, you know, when you're having a conversation with your partner and you're not, you're slightly at cross purposes and Pippa was like, you just go, make a clear offer. (laughs) 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 Which is kind of true because you want someone to be clear about it in the same Mm. way as on stage you do, you know, you need those. But yeah, so the opposite is also true is a brilliant way of living, I think. Because you're like, this is this is true, but the opposite is also true. Can you give me an example of how you could use that in a domestic situation to improve your life? <laughs> I don't know if I could. Can you? Well, is, yeah. that, is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah. I mean, anything that you think, anything that you're sure about, the opposite is also true. Oh, yeah. You know, it's why I don't really trust people who are sure. Yeah. I'm like, well, you haven't thought it through, have you? Or you're stupid. Or you're a liar. Because <laughs> I, I live a life of uh, complete indecision in lots of ways. You know, kind of. But then the opposite is also true. I can be very decisive. So, you know, on stage, when people go, well, what's the right thing to do? Like Anything. Just do something. The only wrong thing to do is doing nothing. Because if you do a thing really boldly, we can work with that, and we can. Mm. But if you don't do anything, or you keep changing your mind, or then we can't do anything. No one can grab onto anything to, you know. So I mean, all of that is useful in life, I guess. Tell me more about the different cults, the like diff- because you you're a sort of um, you are one of those people who I get. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I assume, and I, I think I've seen that you could be like. I'll step into comedy store players or I'll step into Stephen Frost's All Stars or whatever. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, Ruth's really good. She'll work with anyone. She's what. It's almost like this. I don't know what it's. I mean, what is it like? It's kind of, you're the. People get to a level where they are known and respected. You know the rules of the game. So Mm. you can play the game with anyone and you'll just play it in your way. Yeah. It must be like a sport thing. I don't know about. I do say it's (laughs) often like a sport. Like when people go, how do you practice impro? And you're like, think of it like football. You can. You can practice skills, but you can't practice the match. You can't practice yeah. the individual game. So it's kind of like that. Yeah, I, I do, I do kind of cross the. So there's, there's so many different weird cult things. So there's, there's kind of the Keith Johnston route, mm-hmm. um, and then there's the. Which well, is, can you can you kind of sum them up with a broad sweeping generalization of a sentence of like course, what it they're is like difficult. With, with the disclaimer that we're not here to kind of insult anyone oh, no, or, you know. no, and, and I place no value judgment on any of it because I think you can pick bits from all of it and uh, the only value judgment I place is when someone goes this is the way to do it yeah, and I'm like sure. is it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite is also true <laughs> um, so there's Keith Johnston and he he was kind of like the the godfather in impro, I suppose, certainly in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and I, have, I haven't mentioned that book on the podcast for a while but Impro by Keith Johnson without doubt changed my life yes it it's a, a fascinating book and it definitely has aged some and there are some things that you kind of go <laughs> oh oh, <laughs> oh right ooh. um but that's sure to be expected yeah. and I think if you read it with that in mind yeah you know and know that none of it was meant in you know uh, there's some sexual politics there that you kind of okay. go is it yeah. Um, but so that's kind of the, the. There's a lot of short form stuff. So that's the games. A lot mm-hmm. of the games come out of Johnston and uh, Viola Spolin, I think her name was. Um, and, but he also talked about some narrative stuff because he does impro for storytellers. If you haven't mm-hmm. read that one, that's the yeah. follow on book that he did. That's very interesting. Um, then you've got kind of the more American side so uh del close is the big sort of guru oh i think matt besser has talked to me about del close. Yeah. yes okay. and also again like fascinating stuff uh and then and then you basically get the people then it kind of gets filtered down so then you get you know like like a family tree like mm. so then there's the people who follow a kind of more <clears throat> so and this is this is where i fall down because i didn't learn to do impro by being taught it, I learned it by doing it. Mm-hmm. So I learned it because a mate of mine said, do you want to be in my impro show for guest? And I went, yeah, go on then. And then I went, eh, this is great. Uh, and that was it. Okay. So I never did a class really until latterly. And even then I only did a couple. I never really... So I learned by doing. Okay. Um, which I think some, which I, I think doesn't happen so much now and I sort of miss it because you you learn very quickly... And you learn very painfully, and you and it the lessons are very clear, um, and I think it's a great way to learn because because of what we were talking about earlier on, when you know that you've done it badly, you yeah. feel responsible, and, and you... an audience will tell you yeah. quicker than anyone else will, okay, because they won't go with you on it, or you know, so it's 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 good, it's good to learn, and it, and also like we didn't have anything to follow, so when we were doing it. When we started Scratch, which was a thing I did with Pippa and some other guys, um, we wanted to do a narrative, but we didn't know who to ask. Mm-hmm. So we had a book, I think the Del Close book, Truth in Comedy, I think it was. And one guy had seen a company do a show. <laughs> went, this is what I think happened. And then we just did it with trial and error. So we learned it without rules. We made our own rules by learning it mm. you know by doing it and failing which is a great way to learn when you said about your your friend saying um your colleague saying uh do you your story brain is it mathematical i was like what could that possibly mean and you said no for me it's completely instinctive and i was like but what could that possibly mean <laughs> i don't know what mine is i don't like no it's really hard to know what it is it's really hard because and you know i said this to Adam, the other day, I was like, I part of me doesn't want to interrogate it too much mm. because I don't want because there's a little bit of me that thinks there might be a bit of magic in there. <laughs> if I if I if I delve too deep, then I'll ruin whatever I yes, have. Yes, without... I mean this podcast is is nothing if not a twelve year attempt to <laughs> drill into the magic and turn it all back into dust. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's a fascinating kind of. You know, and I do think so. We were talking about the fifty-hour things, yeah. and I do think that gets you into a space that I try to be in 
anyway when I'm improvising, which is a kind of unconscious channeling of your own. It's not channeling of the universe or anything. It's channeling your own stuff. Yeah. And not getting in the way of yourself. Talk to me about 50-hour improvathonathons. It's a crazy thing. We haven't been able to do one, obviously, for three years because of the pandemic. But we're going to do one in next year. Okay, what does the, what does it look like? What's the room? Where are you? Is there the same audience throughout? I mean, people are what what the fuck? Yeah, I know, right. So it, <laughs> Answer the question. What the fuck? <laughs> so it started. It started in Canada with a group called um, Dynasty in Edmonton, and they had they wanted to do a fundraiser, and they had a theatre that allowed them to use the theatre for fifty three hours. So they decided to do. And they do a weekly soap opera. So they were like, why don't we just do it for 53 hours? We've only ever done 50 because we didn't want to top them. They now do 50 because it means you finish at nine o'clock on a Sunday night rather than midnight. (laughs) That's much nicer. Um, So, uh, and Ken Campbell saw them Mm. and said to Sean, who's uh, one of the, he's in Showstopper and he's uh, does School of Night and, you know, various other impro things. And he he said to Sean, go go over there and see what it's all about. And you do it, do the full thing. And Sean went, oh, all right. Because we didn't know that you didn't have to do full 50 because the way ken suggested was that you just you do full 50 yes because ken's obsession i was lucky to see him i saw him live once it was absolutely incredible and i've I've heard one of his shows i think on a cd um but his obsession was that everything had to be heroic yes yes so he would go don't go and do part of the 50 hours (laughs) so he um so Sean went out and then they did it over here. They came, they've got some guy there and they did, I think 30 was the first one. And so basically we get a venue that will let us be there for 50 hours, which is no yeah. mean feat because it means they have to have venue staff there. They have to be open for 50. It's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. And because in Edmonton, they've got their own theatre, so they just keep they it can open. do it. Yeah. But we have to hire somewhere. Uh, but we've done it in various places, um, Wilton's Music Hall, um, Hoxton Hall, the Lost Theatre that is no more, um, the is Park Theatre. Is that the whole name? Sorry. The Lost Theatre that is no more. Oh, God, I wish it was. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> the Lost Theatre that is no more. Um, that's my book. Uh, <laughs> great, great. <laughs> um, the Park we've done it at. So we've done it at various yeah. places. And basically what happens is you have... Um, a director who directs the full 50 and you start at 7pm on the Friday and you finish at 9pm on the Sunday. It's done in two hour shifts. So it's like an hour and 45 and then there's a break to switch audience and for the cast to go to loo and have a Mm -hmm. bite to eat. And that happens for 50 hours. Just keeps going. Um, Adam has since split it up into seasons. So it's kind of like a box set. It's like you're binging a box set. Okay. Um, so it's four seasons so that you can have an overriding arc but you can also have smaller arcs within it that make it a bit more manageable Um, how how does everyone stay awake for 50 hours well everyone has their own thing so you not everyone has to do 50 you Mm -hmm. don't and actually it's helpful if not everyone does so normally you have a core team who are doing the full 50 and then you have other people who drop in for 
12 hours or 24 hours, 24 hours, uh, or, you know, whatever. And they just do shifts. They drop in for shifts. Some audience members stay there for the full 50. Some come, you know, just for bits of it. Um, my parents used to buy a 50-hour pass and then they'd go home when they got tired and yeah. then they'd come back in the morning after they'd had breakfast or okay. whatever. So you can come and go, you know. It's, it's, and, and how do the audience members and how do the performers who are returning to it yeah. know what's going on? They, they sort of don't. Um, there's a little... There's a, So before each episode, each character comes on and does what's called a hot 30, but we've tried to... Because they've got 30 seconds to say what had happened, but we've tried to narrow that down to like a hot 10. Or, okay. <laughs> so everyone does it okay. really quickly. Yeah. Because um, if you've got 30 people all doing... Yeah. It takes <laughs> a long time. Previously like, on season two, yeah. this is four hours worth of explanation. Yeah, okay. So um, they kind of explain who they are, a bit of what's happened to them, um, and you can pick it up quite quickly. It's not, you know, it's, it's not deep in in some ways. In other ways, it's very deep. Um, and then, so in terms of staying awake, some of the audience don't. Like, you hear them snoring, you know, uh, 2am and you're like okay um the performers stay awake by getting up and doing stuff so even if your character isn't in the scene because so the director calls every scene and they don't say what happens they just say this character and this character meet in this place or you know this is happening or there's a huge barn dance or you know whatever and so you can get up and be background and that will keep you awake you can so but it's but it's one story it's one story i didn't ever realize that. yeah yeah it's one full narrative story so one year i played queen victoria uh there's still a bit of me that believes i am queen victoria yes because you live a life in yeah. 50 hours and you're you because you lose so i think it's at hour 30 something you get you get to lizard brain which is where you no longer have kind of control over um censorship or um any of that stuff and you're also living through your dream state okay because your body still wants to dream but you're awake so so the difference between dreaming and reality and not reality becomes very Squiffed. Okay. Um, so there is. So even though I know I'm not Queen Victoria, I know I'm not. But you, often, if there's a TV program about her, I'll be like, Oh, I wonder what they're saying about me now. <laughs> <laughs> but we did do. We did. So we had uh, Prince Albert, and we had kids. You know, we had um, uh, Carrie Ad Lloyd was our daughter. She was mm-hmm. Princess Diana, of course. <laughs> um, and and we had this this life that we created. And I'd said to Jeff, who's an amazing Canadian improviser, I'd said to him, you're not going to die, are you? Please don't die, Jeff. And he went, oh, I'm not planning anything. And I went, great. And then we got to near the end and he he died. And I was in pieces and I was on the floor weeping, begging him not to die and saying, you promised, you promised you wouldn't, you promised you wouldn't. Like, and it was me as well as Queen Victoria. I mean, it was devastating that he died. I mean, but Jeff didn't die. Jeff didn't die. No, Prince right. Albert died. OK. Uh, but it was just devastating. But it's also a weird thing because you... You have these incredibly intense relationships, and you, you when you're when you fall in love, and it's really hard to say when your character falls in love, or when mm-hmm. you're, because it is your character, but it's also you, like you are living it. 
in a very weird way. And so you have these incredibly intense relationships with people. And when it's finished, you you feel like you've had a relationship with someone, but you've never actually spoken to them properly yeah. outside of their character. Yeah, bunch of fucking crazy yeah. things of weirdos. <laughs> I know, it's so weird. <laughs> but I mean, the, the, the levels of hysteria of... That I've seen the funniest things in an improvathon that I've ever seen in my life, and you could never explain them. I've, I've tried. There's one thing that I, that sits in my brain, and I remember. Please try and explain it to me. So it's this guy. So it was three guys on a stage. It was during the um, Orient Express pro- improvathon, mm-hmm. and um, Is there, was there a was that predetermined that it was going to be the Orient? Yeah, Express? Yeah, so they did, we decide on a on a setting, okay, and then everything else is kind of up for grabs. And when you decided on the setting, do you know that in, far enough in advance that you could, for example, watch a documentary about the Orient Express, yes, and absolutely. so you can come loaded with if you wish I'm, to, you're fine, yeah. okay. <clears throat> and it was in like 1920s or 30s, sure. you know, and I was Miss Marple. Okay. And Justin Brett was uh, Hercule Poirot. Oh, very good. And we obviously fell in love and got married <laughs> in the end. And, um, and there, there were three guys. Uh, obviously, two two guys were playing Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. That's that's how sure. broad this thing is. And they could be. They're time travellers, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the guy playing Morty is this guy called Donovan Workin, who is like a... a tornado of funny. I mean, he's just... He's like a short round guy and he's funny funny man and then Dylan Emery and a guy called Tristan uh Lang Langlois yeah Langlois who isn't uh, he he run he's a, a he runs a museum he's a he's a proper he's a proper human yeah uh, but he comes and does this for fun uh and they were playing I can't remember who they were playing but they they'd all gone <laughs> they'd all gone camping Obviously, they'd all gone camping. And so it was called that they were all camping, but they all had to share a tent. And so some of the other actors found two kind of doors and they made a a tent out of these doors. Yeah. And it was just too small. And the three of them got in and Donovan basically just kept moving around too much. Uh, and they were all squished, and he was just that. And it was just physical comedy beyond physical comedy, <laughs> and it was awful, awful and hilarious. And you know, there, were, there was three men squeezing into a space that was too small, which isn't funny, sure, but it was beyond funny. And I cannot tell you why it was as funny as it was, except for the three people. They were perfect for it to be that funny because Tristan and Dylan were playing quite stiff kind of serious people and they both can be quite stiff and serious you yeah. know and then there's Donovan who's just like a whirlwind of nonsense and it was so it was the juxtaposition of that plus plus the just the physical hilarity of it uh, and then just at the end it ended with him lying on top of them and the two of them squashed and one of them with his face in the Good night, Morty. <laughs> just beautiful, beautiful physical comedy. Of, and, and then a guy called Ken who came over from uh, Canada too, and he he played a like a bellhop, and he kept, he could never pick up more than four cases, and he was doing this all the way through, doing this oh, amazing lovely. like dro- always dropping a case, and in the last scene he 
picked up five cases and literally some people like like swarmed the stage to celebrate (laughs) a guy picking up five cases but you can easily do but it's just that kind of you know but then you also get like the saddest things well i was going to ask because they're 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 comic yeah but they're also plays and like they you know it can't you can't keep the level of comedy up the whole time it would be dull yes so oh there's there's beauty in them there's um so lee simpson came and did a uh, in we did one I think it was the last one we did was a um uh Wild West one and he just came in to do a couple of hours and um he just he every time he was on he was it was such beautiful improvisation. Oh he's such an amazing man. And uh he just kept going, Oh I don't want to cause no trouble. That's <laughs> all he said every time. And then it ended it turned out that he was the sheriff's father and had been like an absent father. And they did a scene together that was just one of the most beautiful, understated, amazing acting. Like, yeah. heartbreakingly beautiful. And that that's the joy of it. Because also everyone's emotions are very close to the surface. Yeah. And no one's stopping them. When... When people who are some of the the kind of the the named people on the family tree, like Lee Simpson, you know, mm. do you think that they do you think that they feel added pressure to be as good as their reputations? I was talking to him the other day, and he said he's he's been doing some stuff with Ostentatious, and he said it's really lovely to be the new boy. Oh yeah, okay. Because he hasn't been the new boy for ages and so it's he's he's doing a new thing and because that's what improvisers want to do right that's why they improvise they always want to do a new thing so when you get too good at something you're like oh i'm gonna give myself a new challenge (laughs) Mm. be bad at something for a bit it's really nice to play with people who are better than you yeah so that you you're more on your toes or do a thing that is you're not necessarily comfortable with. So the first time I did the comedy store, I was bricking it mm. doing the players. I was terrified. And they were like, why? Why would you be terrified? And I was like, because it's... Of course I was terrified. <laughs> like, it's the comedy store players. Like, you yeah. know. And I was, yeah, I was genuinely... Yeah, genuinely shitting it. And uh, they were, you know... Because they're all quite intimidating in their own way. Yeah, because you watched them on telly when you were a kid. Yeah. That kind of thing, yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, and now I'm doing a thing with them. And that's bananas. How do you control, how do you manage the terror? Generally, once you've got your first laugh, you're sort of like, oh, okay, that's a bit better. Um, I, I'm very honest about my terror on a stage. So there's a game that we don't play it as much anymore. There's a game where you had to do clues of like to, you know, someone's given a job and a um, they're given a job and it's a, a weird job. Like they're the person who puts the white lines around dead bodies in murder scenes in Brazil or whatever, you know, and, and you have to give them clues to guess that. Oh, I see. Yes. So they're That's out of the room. And they have to, room. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm terrible at the clues. Like, I'm so bad. (laughs) Because what happens is my brain doesn't really work that way. And so I get about halfway through it in my head 
And I go, right, got it. And I go on to do it and I run out of steam about halfway and then uh, and then have to kind of bluster through the second bit of it. And because it's so clear that that's what I'm doing and there's genuine terror on my face <laughs> and you can see it and they all love it because... So Neil and Andy particularly would laugh at me in my face as I was <laughs> trying to do it. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm going with this and I don't know why I started. The first half is so good, guys. Uh, and then, you know, but I think if you're honest about that, yeah, then it doesn't hold, it doesn't, it, it doesn't hold you, you hold it, right? Like, I'm terrified. I've named that I'm terrified. Here it is. Yeah. Then, then, it, then it doesn't have power over me. I'm... I've got power over my terror. Most of the acting work I've done in recent years has had a lot of impro in it. We haven't talked about anything else. <laughs> I know. We haven't talked about mongrels. We haven't talked about people just do... We should talk a bit about people who people just do nothing. Yeah. Um, Talk to me about, I mean, that will obviously... That's improv inflected, right? How yeah, scripted is that? I reckon it's about 70-30... So Which 70% way? scripted. Right, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when I went up for that, because people are like, oh, did you know them all? Because, you know, they were all friends who did yeah. And I didn't. So in the first in the first series, I think there were only, like, two of us who were actors who'd been brought in. And that was a real lesson in um, just, do, just do it. Just make a choice and do it. Because mm. when I got the casting, I was like, there's no way this is me. Like it because the the breakdown that they sent was was not what it was not my casting bracket. Like she was like a like butch, you know, kind of doesn't give a shit, you know. And I think I can't remember how they described it, but I was like, it's not. I'm not, I'm not a security guard. No <laughs> gonna cast me as a security guard. And I went in and I went right. I'm just gonna make a decision about what I think mm-hmm. this is. And I did it. And then I was chatting to Steve afterwards, like years afterwards. And he was like, it was really fascinating because we didn't know what we wanted. Mm. But you came in and made like such a clear choice that we were like, oh, that's what we want. Right. Which was a really good thing to kind of go, oh, OK. And then we did some chemistry reads with me and Hugo, who played my partner, and um George, who played my son, Craig. Mm. And that was very funny because they were like, I mean, he couldn't be your son, could he? And I went, oh, yeah, no, he could, you know. And they went, <laughs> but it would have been really... And I went, no, no, I would have been... It would have been legal. Uh, <laughs> it would have been, been young, but not, like, wrong. Uh, so, which was very disturbing when I realised that. I was like, oh, my God, he could be my child. He's an adult. Um, and we we did some chemistry reads and it was really fun and then when we did the first series because they'd never done a full series before so they hadn't spent a lot of time on set and obviously they'd done everything themselves before and then now they had like the full whack of Mm. you know and and I remember thinking how is this going to work because I'd never been on a set like it and and I was you know, it took me a long time to acclimatise to it. Like, in what way? They just filmed very like differently. It. They didn't. You know, you just had two cameras and kind of just did the scene, and then they'd do it again, and you'd do it again, and the cameras would be moving around, and then they'd be like, "Oh, you want to improv? You can improvise a bit around this bit." And like, okay, uh, you know, so it was much more kind of 
loose than a lot of TV that I'd done before. And I think actually things are a lot looser now on a lot of the comedy things I've done have been a bit more open. Oh, is that like a, a a sort of a shift in how people think about comedy? I think so. Post office? Yeah, I think of, so. Probably I think so, it? yeah. And it's been... it was, But it was such a fascinating experience to do it as one of the only actor-actors, but not feeling like... I don't feel like an actor, but clearly am. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it was... And I, I just loved it. I loved it. And they let you do... You know, like you do it a few times, <coughs> the scripted stuff, and then you could just riff around it as much as you wanted. And so much of the stuff that went in was just like little asides that happened in the moment because, you know, because it, it was funny to say it or it was, you know, mm. or someone said something that made you go, what? And because my character was an outsider as a character uh, and kind of is, in a way, is... <coughs> is the audience because she is aware of how ridiculous they all are. Yes, okay. So it kind of made it a bit easier that I, you know, was a little bit more on the outside of... What was the strong choice that you made in the audition? I think it was just to be unimpressed by everything. Okay. She was just totally unimpressed (laughs) by the world. And I always know I always know that I'm looking grumpy if someone recognises me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, I must be pulling a right old face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was it was a great thing. And I think, you know, like all the talking heads, they were all improvised. Yeah. Or a lot of them were. Okay. Um, they'd often give you a starting point and then you'd improvise around it. And I remember there was one uh, scene where um, it was when my character was pregnant and Chibuddy had made her... He They got him to do the nursery... She didn't want him, obviously, didn't want him to. And uh, the art department had done a, a, an amazing job. <laughs> and they went, do you want to go in? And I went, no, no, can we film it so that we see my reaction when I go in? <laughs> I don't want to see it before I go in. And so all of the reaction shots of that are me actually seeing it for the first time. That's great. You know, like there's a bit where he's cut, he's cut the curtains off and I'm like, that was the one thing I'd already done. Like, <laughs> you know, and like there's a, they've used a barbecue grill for the bottom of the crib and like it's just awful. <laughs> and then there's terrible mural on the wall. And so all of that was my genuine reaction. Talking about people who have managed to create for themselves a wonderful life, they get they were at Glastonbury, like they gig. They do gig because they write amazing garage music. Yeah, like you know, their their stuff is actually if if you're into garage, it's pretty good. I've never seen I've never seen them live. I've noticed like I've seen Goldie Looking Chain live, yeah, and they're incredible. I've seen them live twice, and what a live show! Like, how funny is the Corrupt FM live show? Have you seen the I've live not the seen gig? it. I've not seen it. it? The... I th- they, do, they do their, their s- stuff that they had in the TV show. Yeah. Because it, it was interesting. There's, like, two lots of fans, because there's, like, the music fans and then there's the TV show fans, and they don't always That's uh, so coincide, nuts. isn't it? Isn't it? And, they, and, and so because they're often quite close to their personas like sometimes fans of the show when they because you know every now and then you'll get contacted on social media or Mm. whatever and they do kind of talk to me as if I'm 
Roche. And I'm like, it's weird because I, the boys kind of have that. Yeah. But I don't really have that. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't, uh, I don't know how to respond to this. Um, but it's, yeah, I th- they do, I've seen some clips of their, their live stuff. And it just looks like they're having a fucking ball. Mm. Like, they're just having the best time. But it's great. You know, there are a bunch of mates who made who made stuff for their own amusement mm-hmm. that then became what it became. And, yeah, they're all so busy. And I saw, I did a thing for Steve the other day. Every now and then he's like, I've got a thing. Do you want to come and do it? And I'm like, yeah, all right. What I want to know is, do like, the things that I would normally ask a stand-up, I sort of, I'm interested in, like, what does it cost you? I'm always asking people, are you happy? Are you like, did this do what you hoped it would do? Did your career thus far do for you what you hoped it would do? I suppose in your case, as a, as a sort of, and we mustn't overuse the term Zen, but that sphere we've been talking about of like, you open yourself to the world and the world happens and you accept the world and then there, there it is, and you you thrive, and you create, and you make art, and you just kind of give of your your creativity. Your, I, I suppose you're one of the most, not specifically you, but improvisers of the sort that you are. It's almost like one of the most pure approaches to creativity. You just kind of make up a thing, collaborate, put it all out there. I suppose what you don't get to do is edit it. Yes. Or hone it. You edit you and you hone you and what you know, you might go all oh, like we can look at those phrases and that as those assumptions yeah. and that framing and what have you. But you don't get to kind of do it again differently the next and slightly differently the next. You don't get to iterate really. Yes. So I feel like somewhere in all of this clay is a beautiful pot of a question. But I don't know <laughs> what it is. But I suppose is there like Are you happy? Am I happy? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I think, uh, sporadically, yes. And I think partly it's because, I mean, we talked about this years ago, about there being no end game. There's no goal. It's a goalless profession. There's no, like, what is your barometer of success? What is your, um, what is your aim? Um, I mean, I do think of giving up probably twice a year, and I think that's pretty standard. Um, but there's because there's no. So when I started doing this, I didn't know that improvisation was a career because it wasn't. That wasn't a career, so you're we're kind of creating a career path that didn't exist, which is hard and can be quite lonely sometimes. When you're like, you know, and so for example, doing an improbable musical, which was so fulfilling on a creative level, massively fulfilling on a creative level, but is a really hard sell and was meant to tour and because of you know financial things at the moment mid-scale touring is kind of you know dying the death in theatre really and so it doesn't exist at the moment and you're like but this was a beautiful thing that should exist and that everyone should be able to see and and I know it's amazing and it makes me very sad that it isn't at the moment 
So there's definitely like a kind of... And there are moments where I'm like, I think I should be... There should be more. Do you know what I mean? Like I do a lot, but I should always be doing more. I should be working more. There should be more work. Um, so I think when I'm when I'm working, I am so happy, so happy. I love working. I love working. <laughs> Please give me a job. No, I do. I I get tremendous joy out of work, and uh, when when we couldn't work in lockdown. Mm. I realised how crazy I am. <laughs> I can't work. Like I, it's definitely bad for my mental health not to perform, which is a really interesting thing because I I didn't know that about myself. I knew that I was driven to do it and very driven to do stuff, but I I wasn't aware how necessary it was for me to do it, and also like how necessary it is for me to turn to turn my life into material. So uh, just before lockdown, I split up with my uh, partner um, and and it's the first breakup I've ever had uh, where I didn't get through it by uh, getting drunk and turning it into comedy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is... I mean, it's probably healthier <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to yeah. sit with it and True. work through that was, it. And... <laughs> that was not my first thought either. I was no. like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, how do you how do you process this stuff when you're not turning it into content, like turning it into material and into comedy and into... Um... And it, it, yeah, it took me a lot longer, I think, to... Probably to more healthily get over it, but but it took me longer to to get to a point where I was okay. Whereas when you've got comedy and you can turn it into feeding off the carrying of your heart, it's mm. it, it, it's a quicker it's a quicker fix. Maybe not a better fix, but a quicker fix. Um, so I uh, yeah, if I'm not working, I definitely feel it. Does stop her? Um, uh, does Showstopper, how often is it on? Well, so it's, we do about two a month in the West End okay. at the moment, and then we tour. Okay. And this year, um, we didn't tour uh, from Christmas onwards okay. to, to, I think, March or May. Okay. But I had a break because I... Uh, for various reasons, couldn't mm. tour. Um, and uh, I definitely was like, <laughs> like chomping at the yeah. bit to, you know, and yeah. Could you, or have you kind of like, I know you do create your own work and like when I, you know, your sketch show and your work with uh, Lucy, we've not yeah. spoken about it so much, but um, could you, or do you have like a regular once a week, Impro night in order to like are you that kind of because I, I know like of the improvisers I know you may all have this kind of connection which is hey there's the there's the stuff out there and I become a vessel for the stuff um, or whatever however yeah, you might yeah. kind of uh, uh, describe it you are nonetheless all vastly different people some of whom are like 
driven to get out there and get on stage nine times a week or yeah. who are not, you know. Yeah, I uh, I definitely need one a week, whether I always get one a week or not. Is, yeah. I mean, I generally have had, you know, enough. But I could always do more. I could happily do seven days a week. But has it and has it occurred to you to go? Well, I'll put my own night on then, in order that I get. Uh, yes, has it? No, no, no. Because I'm a lazy. Bugger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very ambitiously lazy. Uh, mm. I, yeah, I think because also because I haven't, um, I haven't been able to work as much this year, and I think that's been really fascinating. Like what that does to you, like. Mm. Um, and and you know like I've had so I haven't been it like whereas before I could just keep going keep going keep going uh, I've had to be good to myself and build in like no you can do a gig and then you need a day where you don't do a gig and then yeah. you you know and, and that's sort of a weird um, you know because like, we all did it right during lockdown we all went hey this has been really good for me taking time and I'm not going to try and fit seven things into a day anymore and I'm not good because that's cr- and, but of course I have as soon as as soon as I was able to like every job I was like yes I'll do it yes I'll do yeah, it you yeah. know and then trying to fit in like seven stupid jobs in one day where you're like no just do one <laughs> uh, but I, I can't it's hardwired into me to to say yes say to yes stuff. to everything yeah um and it's good too, I think, you know, but yeah, it's, it's the idea. I've never wanted to be in charge. That's what it is. I don't like being in charge at all. And in Showstopper, there's like some jobs that you can do that like, you know, because we need people to run certain things. And I remember Adam saying to me once, would you want to do that? And I went, no, in no way would I ever want to have any actual responsibility (laughs) so I think it's really I don't enjoy running stuff I don't enjoy so you know I was saying this earlier that you know everyone's getting diagnosed with ADHD and all these things and I remember uh Shappy had put up a thing about uh hating admin and hating organising stuff and and crying because of admin Mm. and that that was an ADHD thing. And I (laughs) watched it and went, yeah, that's just life, isn't it? Everyone hates admin. And I was like, I always cry when I have to do admin. And then I said that to someone who, you know, has a proper job and they went, no. (laughs) And I went, oh, maybe I have got a little bit of it then. Maybe I have. Because I do cry when I have to do admin. I hate admin. Mm. It makes me so tense and miserable and sad. And I was like, oh, maybe that is a... You know, maybe we are all drawn to this stuff because we don't mm-hmm. fit into those things, those brackets. And, and because admin does make us cry. And, uh, yeah, so I've never wanted to, to run a thing... I mean, we did, I ran a, a new material night with Cariad and Pippa and Lucy for a while. Mm-hmm. And we we liked it because we could do new material. But at some point we all went, oh, we don't mind doing this. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to be in charge of it, thank you. Uh, although it did, it did give me one of my favourite memories I've ever had, which was standing in a dressing room with uh, Bridget Christie with a donkey head on 
me wearing a chicken on my head and Sarah Millican, who was guesting, uh, standing there going, you don't get this in stand-up clubs. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like her new material gig, so it was like me chicken on my head. <laughs> so that was Ruth. You can catch up with her at Ruth Bratt on Twitter or at Brat Bomb, Brat with two Ts, on Instagram. Uh, and you can Google her. She doesn't appear to have a website. Imagine not having to have a website. That's when you know you're proper. People come to you. Wonderful. What is it? Bill Murray doesn't have a an agent. He just has an answer phone. Brilliant. Um, and that story originated probably at the time when answer phones were quite new. I don't even know if it's true, but I'm repeating it to you verbatim because I heard it was true. And that's what reality is in some ways. Is it possible that your mouth can be too dry. <laughs> Who knows? Um, thank you so much to Ruth for coming along. Thank you to you uh, for listening and sharing the show with people that should know about it. Thank you to producer Nathan for sorting the show out. The music was by Rob Smouten and the logger was Susie Lewis. Uh, lots and lots of love to Moz. Um, we wish you a speedy return to the show and indeed the rest of your life. Um, so that will do us for now. Um, I will have a quick post amble at you in just a second should you care to remain. But for now... Goodbye. So, um, I'm into, I'm doing, I'm making offers and I'm using, oh God, is this good or bad? I'm using Calendly. Have you used Calendly? Calendula. Calendly, which is a means of trying to, it's a means of trying to reduce the time spent on answer phone ping pong. Oh no, um, on, um, internet table tennis when you're trying to organise uh, meeting up with people. So I'm I'm now sending out invites to uh, future guests of the podcast using Calendly. Oh, it's probably the most interesting thing I've ever said. Why don't I tell you about it in even more detail? Well, what I did was... Oh, Christ, I'm fine. Um, I am... I've got nothing to say. I've got nothing to say. What am I doing? People say, how are you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of clinging on to this... I've got the, the I'm clinging on to the tail of the comet, um, which is sort of uh, excitedly whizzing me around this whole new world to which hopefully I can offer something meaningful. Um, and in the meantime, I'm oh, my God, I've seen the video of the uh, of the show, my show at Edinburgh. So, my God, how often do you tape a show and then you you look back at it and you go, oh, I shouldn't have been. Oh, I didn't notice the whole time I had a stain on my shirt or whatever, or that joke didn't fly or what have you. And this one, I'm just like, oh, God, it's brilliant. I'm really, really pleased with it. Um, it's, I'm, still un- I'm still undecided about the tour. That's an ongoing conversation, exactly how I can tour sustainably. Um, I think it will happen. There's some other things I can't really tell you. This is the worst post amble ever. And look, here we go. This is uh, <laughs> uh, this is my wife texting me to say, do you need me to make Boutros a pack? She doesn't call him that. Um, a packed tea for Circus Club. Yes, please. <laughs> there are lows. <laughs> there, there are lows. And then there's whatever that was. Not for the first time I'm aware that I should um, be bullet pointing these so I can say things to you. I'm literally looking. I'm looking. I can't tell you who I've got coming up or who I'm making offers to or who I've already offered and they've agreed, but I haven't put it in the right place yet. I can't tell you, but I'm just going to react 
um, visually. They're going to be great. They're going to be amazing. That's in the diary. That'll be wonderful. That'll be good. That has been a long time coming. That I can't wait for that one or that one. That is a real blast from the past. That's an absolute curveball. And that one, I'll be amazed if it happens. Does that help? I'm looking down the list. Um, but I just, as soon as I say a name, if it's not in the can, I've just jinxed it. There's sort of 12 other people on the list, but I, I got bored of the game. Um, there is not, there's nothing. I, my, my entire life at the moment is um, meetings. And I can't tell you about what some of the meetings are about. And others of the meetings, I should sort of be discreet anyway. And there's nothing else in my life. What can I tell you? We played a particularly satisfying adventure game with the kids uh, the weekend. That was good. <laughs> I've got nothing. Oh, my God. Do you think this is what they meant when they said the ADHD medication? People can people have concerns that it interrupts your creativity. Normally, I can pull something out of the air. Can I? No, maybe I can't. Now I'm doubting all of it. I'll tell you what else I'm doubting. I've got bloody, I've got to do the comedy box in, in Bristol, which is, did I say the bloody comedy? I've got to bloody do the comedy box. I'm going to bloody do it. And it's a 45 minute headline set this weekend on the 30th. I love that room. I grew up in that room as a comic. And um, I now need to take spoilers, which has, con not, let's not use the word congealed, but it has... Um, strengthened <laughs> like what's a positive way of saying congealed well congealed i suppose if you're bleeding out um it, it's i've got to take the thing which is set and then sort of tweak it and and cut bits out and which bits do you cut out and all the rest of it it's been so lovely the last couple of weeks barely gigging and just coasting off this wonderful edinburgh thing and now i'm not oh god i've got to i've got to put i've been i've got to put my money where my mouth is and uh, I've been throwing my mouth around, so now I've got to, I've I've got to cash some checks or something. Oh God, oh God, is this? I can't put this out. If this were Chatterbix, I could put this out. <laughs> I got. I'm sure Joe won't mind. I'll just tell you what Joe Wilkinson said to me. He sent me a message saying, "That's one of our best ever eps." And I said, you've sent this to me and I suspect you meant it for David, but I'm pleased for you. I feel intimately connected to Chatterbix. And he said, that was for you. And I meant to say your. He meant to say that was one of your best ever eps. Uh, he was talking about the um, the new Adam Bloom one. And then we went on to have a, a lovely chat. <laughs> but what, what a magical thing that was. I love it when people get in touch. And the Adam Bloom one in particular has made has meant lots of people got in touch. And Adam got in touch to say that it's sales about a bump. Um, and it is nice, even with my little niche. Tell you what, every time I think the word niche, I think of Pappy's going niche, but timeless. Um, with my little niche here, I'm thrilled that so many of you have been motivated to buy Adam's book. I'm just going to continue shouting out about it. And I'm sort of going to start acting as his uh, unofficial international PR because I'm going to get in touch with a load of American podcasters and get them to uh, get him on their shows as well, because it is a work of G. I haven't quite finished it and maybe towards the end it falls apart. Who knows? <laughs> Even if it did, it would be completely worth it for what comes before. Um, that is... Oh, yes, and there's a glossary. I didn't even see the glossary. Right, I'll crack on with that. This is the worst... <laughs> this is this is the worst post-amble I've ever done. And Nathan, I give you permission to cut all of it. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.